Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it's good to be back on the show with you. It's been a while. It has been a while. The young guys keep taking over our slots. Yeah, I don't they know, do. Man, they you know? do. But hey, man. That's okay. The, They're doing the a good a- job. A-team's back on. That's today. right. Yeah, we there got you it go. today. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> That's right. Football. I mean, this is the start of college football. Hey, it's the best time of the year. I mean, if you're not a college football fan, you got to at least enjoy a little bit. You know, people get excited about it. and um, You do. You some do. good games. It's and it. also the weather's starting to, well, maybe not not, not too much not yet. It's still, it's still yeah, hot. Yeah, it's still summer, but humidity's been brutal but uh but yeah i mean football's right here and yeah, uh starting should, should be a fun this weekend, weekend and uh i think clemson plays on monday yeah. playing georgia tech yeah that's right georgia plays oregon um and then south carolina plays georgia state so uh yeah we'll we, see we you know vanderbilt my dad went to vanderbilt i have to give them a shout out they're one and oh undefeated and so that doesn't happen to them very often so there you I'm go pulling from my dad's team there you go <laughs> wow <laughs> and the golf the right? golf yeah i mean roy, roy. McElroy came back from uh six down to um take down scotty scheffler kind of felt bad for scheffler he just I really had a horrible day yeah um, he did and he had that huge lead to see that lead evaporate but hey he's had a pretty good year i think he's yeah. made like I don't know, $20 million or something yeah, so far. I, I don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's won four times, so hey, he's had it a was great uh, year. pretty good. That was fun, though. That was a good good, uh, <clears throat> a good weekend of sports. And uh, speaking of which, you know, we have a good show lined up for the day, John. Um, you know, we're going to dip our toe back into cryptocurrencies because haven't heard much from the cryptos here lately. Yeah, it's been kind of quiet. It's I don't get many calls on quiet, crypto. So I think it's time we tune back into cryptocurrency land and see update. what's going on with Bitcoin and the other cryptos out there and, you know, how they're faring in the spare market. Yeah, I can tell you it's not real good. but No, uh, it's we'll, not good, we'll, but it's interesting. I think there's is. some definite lessons learned yeah. here, and that's what we're going to focus on today. And then we're going to... Talk about um, health, health insurance, insurance yeah. and retirement, right? Yeah, one of the questions that everyone has if you're retiring before 65 is, what do you do for insurance? I say everyone. Some people do have uh, company-sponsored um, health insurance going into retirement, but most people don't. So, you know, there's you've got to figure that out. I mean, you can't retire until you have medical figured out before 65. So we're going to just kind of talk a little bit about some options, some things that we do from a strategy standpoint and, um, you know, may uh, give you some ideas. Yeah, there are more more options than most people realize, I think. So that, that'll be a very enlightening topic as well. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro with over 27 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 30 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday morning. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. You can listen to the podcast uh, directly from the computer. You can obviously download it to iTunes. A lot of really good uh, information. I had a client sent me a, uh, an email this last week. His son is um, a senior in high school, and he wanted the information on the salaries um, by um, degree. And so okay. we have that out on the website. So yeah, that's if you're, nice. If you have somebody in high school, go check that out. And also Facebook page. We do a prescription every week. I think you're you're up this week. So uh, Facebook, it's MoneyMD. Yeah, on exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good information on our website. So do check that out. Matter of fact, I had a client refer to our budgeting uh, spreadsheet mm-hmm. that we have on the website yep. here this week that he used. And uh, so a lot of things there. Check us out on MoneyMD.net. 
Um, you can link to us there. You can send us your questions, and we'd love to hear from you, and we can, uh, we'll can we talk about those right here on the show. Um, we're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Reserve Bank of New York, and it's talking about debt. And so credit card debt back in 2003, uh, so almost 20 years ago, was three times the size of student loan debt. So it was about $700 billion compared to student loan debt of about $240 billion. Well, you know, that's that's completely flipped. In 2022, credit card debt is $890 billion, so it's increased a little bit. But the student loan debt, Steve, is just out of control. It's $1.6 trillion per this statistic. So it's, wow. it's double. It used to be three times, um, you know, smaller basically than – than the uh, credit card debt. Now it's twice as big. And so we do see that's a, a crisis in, in America. And, um, you know, we've done shows. If you're interested right. in that topic, we've done a lot of shows on how to get through college with, min- you know, minimizing debt. So there are ways to do that. Exactly. And, and we probably ought to do another show here, you know, soon on it because it's important. And obviously that number is before any loan forgiveness yes. type, type numbers. So that might knock down by a third. It could. Which, yeah. which I hate to say, I predict that the cost of college will accelerate when they do this loan forgiveness thing. But um, you think, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, you know, without fixing the, the, the real root of the problem, which is the escalate escalating cost of, of college. Um, I think they're just going to raise the prices because now more money is going to be perceived as being available. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, um, you know, for future ones, because people think, Oh, it's going to be forgiven. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a problem. So we'll yeah, see. It continues. Anyway, that continues. Good fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic, and that is cryptocurrencies, lessons learned. Um, Yeah, John, I mean, you don't hear much about Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies nowadays compared to a couple years ago. Um, So I I do think it's time we revisit these and, you know, see how they've held up here in this bear market. Hmm. Um, (laughs) Not well. Not well. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I think there are certainly some lessons learned, um, can be learned from this. And, you know, now that we've pretty much seen a complete market cycle with cryptocurrencies over the past several years. um, And as we know, I mean, it's been quite a ride for cryptocurrencies this year, um, particularly. I mean, Bitcoin's down about 70% from its peak last fall. Dogecoin, which was another popular one, you know, made popular by Elon Musk whenever he tweeted about it a couple of years ago. That's off 88% from its high last summer. Wow, that'll, that'll ruin a retirement. That is it. 88%. Yeah. So, so we all naturally have to wonder, you know, what these drops mean for their future. Um, so we'll delve into that a little bit. But before we explore that question, let's review a little bit of what has happened to cryptocurrencies in the market this year and where what got us here. Yeah, certainly the, the stock market um, you know, peaked in early January and it started down. So the, the, the indexes are down for the year. But Bitcoin and other cryptons, uh, cryptos took a huge downturn along with stocks and uh, crypto companies you know, they've inked uh, sponsorship deals with professional sports teams. Um, So Coinbase, Crypto.com, eToro, uh, they've shelled out millions of dollars for Super Bowl ads this past February. And there was one ad in particular that um, the quarterback Tom Brady and his supermodel wife touted the crypto exchange FTX. Um, And then there was also a commercial for Crypto.com featuring Matt Damon, um, and so, you know, you had to be pretty brave to hang on to that ride since, since then. I mean, as, as you mentioned, um, some of the cryptos are, are down significantly. Some of them have, some of the, um, uh, 
uh, firms that have managed that have actually gone bankrupt and people have lost everything associated with it. But the value had swelled to about $3 trillion. Today, it's down about a trillion overall, uh, down about two thirds uh, in general, which is a massive amount. Yeah, I remember that commercial from Matt Damon where he said, you know, fortune favors the brave. You know, it was one of these real, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. kind of sexy commercials that he put out there. And uh, I was just thinking, the Super Bowl is thinking, yeah, it's going to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> you have to be brave to hang on to that in a bear mm. market. And sure enough, it, it didn't uh, fare very well. Yeah, the message from these companies, you know, was that crypto represents the future of finance and you don't want to miss out on that. Um you know, last year, the, the technological razzle-dazzle of crypto kind of swept a lot of retail investors up who didn't realize, I mean, the sort of risk they were taking on, you know. And if you bought, you know, Bitcoin on February the 14th, the day after that Super Bowl ad bonanza went out, I mean, it's now worth about half of what you paid for it the mm. day after that. Um, so cryptocurrencies, they ran into some real headwinds when the Fed started raising rates in March. Um, and, you know, so amid that tough environment, um, there was an algorithm-based stablecoin called UST that lost its peg to the dollar um, in early May. And it was tied to another cryptocurrency called Luna, um, both of which virtually lost everything. And, you know, the problems just kind of cascaded from there um, this year. So Coinbase, you know, a large cryptocurrency exchange, I mean, it had to drastically make cuts and cut cut employees to survive, and it's lost about 75% of its value mm. this year. So yeah, Bitcoin backers have always claimed that the digital currency would be an inflation hedge, but obviously that hasn't worked out either with high inflation this year. So you know, the truth is, I mean, it has acted more like a very speculative commodity with no true utility to back up its value. And that's that's what gets us where we are here. Kind of uh, just beanie babies just kind of popped in my mind. Remember the craze back in the 80s? People right. were paying a ridiculous amounts. And I'm not saying that's exactly like this, but it really is an age-old story of some investors being willing to take on speculative risk and hoping to score big. And, and you know, those types of speculative investments, they tend to get destroyed in a bear market. And we've seen that. And I don't really you know know what it means um, – it really matters what type of speculation it is. There's different kinds of speculation. There's always a segment out there that population wants to, to gamble with and, uh, you know, with their money in hopes of hitting it big and not missing out on the next big, big wave. So this really is nothing new. We've seen this in the past over the last 50 years, people speculating with real estate bubbles. Uh, we've saw it with the dot-com stocks back in the early 2000s, uh, high-flying tech stocks, um, meme stocks. We've seen that recently, gold, silver, even oil investments. So it, probably the, the non-fungible tokens, also known as NFTs, were a flash in the pan. They could reemerge, but I mean, this is not an unusual event. We see shiny things that people go to and then it gets destroyed. So, you know, if you want to quote play with this, take a little bit on the side and go do it, but don't put the majority of your portfolio in this. Yeah, exactly. And certainly, I mean, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, I mean, they're probably going to be around for years to come, you know, until um, until some new speculative investment comes along to lure those investors away. I mean, I have kind of this theory that, you know, there's always like two to four percent of investment money out there that's always chasing some highly speculative investment. Um, And it's usually some unproven asset that lacks any fundamental reason for holding value. 
And currently, I think the majority of that 2 to 4% is parked in things like cryptocurrency. But, you know, someday it will be something else. Um, so having said that, you know, I think cryptocurrencies will probably recover at some point and they'll probably hang around as a very volatile and speculative investment until something new and sexier comes along. Yeah, but you got to keep in mind, regardless whether it's the Bitcoins or some tech stock that has risen 100 times without earnings, it really still is the same thing. It, it kind of feels like a Ponzi scheme where the gains are only supported by new buyers and new money who are getting in. And so once those new buyers dry up, then you have the, the kind of losses that we're seeing today in the cryptocurrencies. And, and these type of investments will always be around in some form or fashion, but we have to be diligent to recognize them for what they are and avoid getting, you know, putting too much in with your, your serious investments. You got to be really careful with that. Yeah, absolutely. And when we start to see, you know, investors and professionals alike start to get lured into these type of speculative holdings and they start calling them mainstream alternative investments, you know, then we know that there's a speculative bubble that's probably forming. Um, I mean, having said that, you know, timing these bubbles is very difficult. Um, you know, while we, we know it's only a matter of time before, you know, you see a massive drop in these type of assets, I mean, it can take longer than we imagine, or it, it, may, it can happen really suddenly, you know, and sometimes people sit around watching these things go up and thinking, oh, I was wrong, and this is never going to have this kind of massive drop, but the truth is, you know, it, it does eventually, and, and that's what we saw this year, even after last year when people started getting kind of sucked into it thinking it's it's never going to you know have some huge drop. So you simply have to stay away with money you can't afford to gamble with and you can't lose. Um, so just remember that for your serious investment money, such as your retirement plans, you have to stick with academically proven investment vehicles to get you to retirement and beyond. You know, a real investment has utility and it maintains a value of measure without any new buyers. And most stable investments also create significant income, you know, like a stock or a bond in a company which are creating earnings and interest, you know, and dividend or paying dividends. Cryptocurrencies don't check any of these boxes and therefore they fall into the pure speculation category. As such, we would continue to suggest avoiding these as part of your portfolio and Focus your serious money around a diversified portfolio that includes many different asset classes of stocks and bonds. That's kind of the moral of the story here. Yeah, I mean it's it's really amazing what some of the some of the stocks have done. I mean down eighty eight percent. Gosh, that's just uh, it crushes crushes. Uh, if you put everything in there, it changes uh, changes lives. Unfortunately, yeah, that's so definitely be careful with that. Yeah, and no <clears throat> doubt a lot of a lot of risk there. Okay, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, we get questions on day trading, and uh, we gosh, we saw we've seen a lot of it the last couple of years. And there was a study that recently came out that showed that only one point six percent of day traders are profitable. Now that doesn't mean they're making millions of dollars; mm. they're they're profitable. So, um, you know, if you think about all the people that are day trading, it's kind of like um, you know people buying lottery tickets. Somebody's going to win, right? So, yeah. with all the I if mean, you have. Five million people doing day trading, or two million, whatever the number is. There's going to be one or two or ten or twenty that are lucky. That's two out right? of fifty. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. not. It's just not very many people. So it also is very stressful. I've talked to people that have done it before, and and you know you're you're looking at it daily, and 
Um, and then you go through a bear market like this and you just get crushed. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you're, you're you got ulcers, you know yeah. I mean? It's just ruins your, your week, month, year, you know, you yeah. just, you, you don't need that kind of anxiety in your life. I mean, day trading is very perilous. Yeah. I mean, the odds are vastly against you too. Most people don't realize it, but you know, studies have shown that only about 19% of stocks account for all of the positive return in the stock market. Yeah. So if you're out there day trading, try to pick those 19% of stocks, you know, the odds are greatly against you. And if you don't get your share of those, you're going to lose money. That's right. That's the bottom line. So yeah, avoid the day trading at all costs. Very interesting uh, question of the week, no doubt. All right. And that leads up here to conversation about insurance. Um, Yeah. Can you retire if you don't have insurance? What do you do, John? Yeah, health insurance is certainly a huge hurdle for folks that retire before age 65. This was written by a gentleman named Eric Reich um, recently. and um, But there are some options out there, but it is one of the most discussed reasons why people can't re- retire or refuse to even look at it before age 65. Um, but there are some, some other reasons, lack of income, fear of running out of money. We hear a lot. Um, sometimes people don't have kind of a sense of purpose, what they're going to do. That has to figure be figured out as well. But, you know, one of the biggest uh, reasons we encounter and we hear about is the health insurance. And so certainly as we age, the presence of health insurance, it's a necessity and you've got to figure it out before you go into retirement. Again, before 65 is kind of what we're focused on here. So, you know, some view it as a high, higher priority, allowing insurance to dictate if and when they can retire. But there are some different options we're going to explore here. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you can start collecting Social Security as young as age 62 or all the way up to as late as you can delay all the way up to age 70. However, you can't go on Medicare until you're 65, you know. So there's a gap between 62 and 65, and that forces a lot of pre-retirees to kind of postpone retirement until they can go on the Medicare so they have that box covered and checked um, to make sure they have good health insurance. Um, but that might not necessarily have to be the case. We see a lot of people retiring earlier than that, mm-hmm. and they cover health insurance other ways, right? Yeah, and so one of them is the Affordable Care Act, and we're going to kind of dive, kind of do a deep dive into this. So March 23rd of 2010 is when the Affordable Care Act was enacted um, that uh, gave all Americans the right to get insurance. I mean, this new law came with a lot of criticism, a lot of confusion, you know, at the time, the criticism was concerned about, um, you know, higher premiums, lower levels of coverage, increase in taxes, um, you know, enrollment issues. And 12 years later, we, we do have a better understanding of the Affordable Care Act and how it, you know, can benefit us, um, including those under the age of 65. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, well, like we mentioned, you know, the Affordable Care Act, that's an option for those who want to retire by age 65. Um and, you know, the first reaction typically is not positive, though. I mean, people assume that with health insurance, you know, coverage is terrible, you know, for that type of insurance, and it's expensive. And sometimes, though, that's not the case. I mean, the Affordable Care Act has matured a little bit since its inception back in 2010, um, and I think 2013 maybe is whenever it started really, mm-hmm. really came into play. Um And, you know, but it gives you more control now over how much coverage you want and need. And, you know, in our opinion, I mean, it's still very expensive, but uh, you you don't have to, 
you might qualify for the subsidies and um, it's expensive if you don't qualify for subsidies, yeah. but if you get the subsidies, it becomes very affordable. Yeah. And you can look at the, the, the website to go to is healthcare.gov to find out more information about the state programs. That's kind of the, the general information out there, but the cost of health insurance through the Affordable Care Act, um, it does cause confusion. I mean, there's another big, uh, this is another big deterrent for retiring before 65 with no health care through your employer or your spouse's employer. So the monthly cost to you, um, you know, the enrollee is really based on expected household income for the year that you need covered. So, so here's the good news. When you retire, um, you, if you have done some planning, you, you have some options and, and Steve's about to go through that, but there's some ways to get subsidies, even with a large income. Yeah, the key is to be able to manage your income, you know, your your income that qualifies, your taxable income in retirement before age 65. Because if you retire before 65, most of the money that you live off um, could be money in your checking savings account or your non-IRA money, like Roth IRAs, mm-hmm. right, um, that aren't taxable. And, you know, these are the most liquid assets. So in that case, um, when you're applying for health insurance um, on the Affordable Care Act, your low income could cause your premiums to be much lower than you anticipate. You could qualify for a subsidy, um, <clears throat> and you know it could be significantly reduced costs, reduced premiums, maybe even free. Um, so in retirement, if you can have some flexibility on your sources of income, where it comes from, and and keep your income below that like sixty six thousand dollar mark, is where I think it is. Um, I know you're going to talk more about that. I mean, yeah. that's a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, as an example, so I was talking to a, um, some clients yesterday, and and if they have a hundred thousand of income that's going to be coming in, you know, if you can pull fifty from an IRA and fifty from a brokerage account, the IRS right. is only going to see fifty from the IRA. They're not really going to see the fifty from the brokerage account more than likely. And so, Roths are a big key to that. Yes, if you can do some conversions, get some money in Roth, or yep. do Roth Roth contributions before you retire, gives you options. That gives you some options. You got some flexibility. Then you got some money you can pull that's tax free that doesn't qualify under the ACA as income. Yeah. So we have people retiring in their in their fifties, you know, using these strategies. But so here's some of the numbers for 2022. The income levels you you must at least have thirteen thousand dollars of income for an individual and 27,000 for a family of four. Otherwise it goes into the Medicaid process and procedures. Um, however, to receive the smallest subsidy allowed, you can't have income over. These are the thresholds, 32,000 for an individual, or like you mentioned, Steve, 66,000 for a family of four. So that's kind of the, the cap of, of earned income that you can have, or just any type of income, um, you know, whether it's from an IRA account or whether it's, it's, uh, it's W2. Um, so remember, if you have tax, if you have money that is tax favored, like you'd mentioned, Roth money, some people are using cash, some people are using brokerage account money, you can actually manage that income from an IRS perspective and get the subsidies that'll carry you up to, to the Medicare age of 65. So some good websites out there, we mentioned healthcare.gov. Um, there's another one called kff.org uh, I've used in the past. You know, the enrollment process is simple. You know, if you're planning to retire, um, that is considered a life event, then you may, you know, qualify to apply and enroll at the time of in, 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 of retirement. So, again, you got to if you can manage your income from the IRS's perspective by using Roth money or brokerage account money, uh, you can. I mean, so the cost is maybe four or five hundred bucks a month. That that would be the yeah the after thing, the subsidies. 
a thing people don't realize is the subsidies don't drop way off when you get close to that. They're, 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 it's a very slow, a very mild slope on those subsidy levels until they drop off the cliff at age 66. I mean, at yeah. income level, 66000 a yeah, year. then it goes. So forward. you get a big subsidy if you qualify for any subsidy. Yes. You know, it makes it very affordable. And, you know, along with the Roth money or, or the brokerage type money, you can even take loans out of your, you know, out of your, your out of insurance, mm -hmm. you know, cash value. You can take withdrawals from the cash value of insurance. You know, you could, you know, even take, you know, home equity in your house. So there's lots of ways to kind of skirt that for a few years. You only got to make it a few years, right, yeah. till you get to 65. age 65. So you don't want to give up on that idea. Um, you know, you got to get a little creative. You got to do some planning. You got to prepare ahead of time um, to be able to qualify. But it opens a pretty nice window for people that don't get insurance when they retire um, to be able to still retire early and, and have affordable insurance. Um, you know, and then there are the other options, too, that you're going to mention here in a second, too, along with that. But and this is certainly not an endorsement for the Affordable Care Act, but it is a way to provide options and some clarity on, you know, this topic um, that can be very confusing. You know, and it's bothersome to see people grind out their last few years of work to hit that magic number of 65 when they really didn't have to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so had they known that they were, these options were out there, then maybe they could have enjoyed a few more years of retirement and been able to retire early. So if you're considering retiring before 65, but you think here you can't do to health insurance, we'd encourage you to investigate these options we're talking about. Yeah, and there are some other options that, that people do use. Um, maybe they have too much income and they can't get the subsidies from the Affordable Care Act. I mean, we see MediShare. Um, yeah. These are called health sharing plans. MediShare, uh, Christian Health, Healthcare Ministries, um, Samaritan Ministries, to name a few. Um, so they, they have high deductibles um, that you have to pay. And then it's a group sharing type plan, but they're in the four to five to six hundred dollar range as well. If you don't get the subsidies <clears throat> for two people, it's over fifteen hundred. I mean, it's it can be per super, month, super high for somebody in their sixties. That right. age, that's right. Yeah. So you, you, you know, there are ways to get medical before age sixty five. You got to do a little bit of planning. Um, you know, you got to have a, a little vision of hey, I want to retire at sixty one, sixty two. You've got to have that medical figured out before you retire because it is cost prohibitive in most cases. Um, but there are some some ways. And if you have questions on that, certainly reach out to us and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at your situation. Yeah. I mean, insurance is super important in retirement, of course. So you've got to have a plan for that. We would suggest you start early, you know, start in your mid fifties, start thinking about what is insurance going to look like when you retire? When do you want to retire? How do you bridge that gap to get to age 65? And then when you hit 65 and you go on Medicare, you also got to think about, am I going to buy a supplement, you know, and, and, you know, what does that look like? How much is this going to cost? It has to, you have to have a plan for the first 10 years of retirement, not just the first year of retirement. Yes, so that's right. That's the whole key here is planning ahead. You do have some options if you give yourself a little time to uh, to figure those things out. So, um, all right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our final uh, thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Um, well, so if you want to fight inflation, you need to review your recurring subscriptions. Um, so take a close look at your budget, your credit card statements. Um, take <clears throat> uh, note of, of any of those recurring charges you have and be sure you find the ones that you no longer use. Um, you know, pay particular attention to 
these recurring yearly charges that you have, you know, maybe have a yearly subscription of something that you totally don't use. Um, you know, check your iPhone subscriptions. You know, nowadays, I mean, every app, right, has that yearly subscription they want you to subscribe <clears throat> to. Yep. I'm sh if you're like most people, you have, you know, 10 apps on your phone that you no longer use, and maybe you're paying for those mm -hmm. yearly. Um, so you want to look for those things, you know, and, and those are going to be a good ticket for knocking the inflation out of your budget. Um, get a get a handle on those subscriptions, um, the ones you aren't using, cancel those things, get rid of them. You know, the Sirius XM on your car, if you're not using that, you yeah. know, get rid of those subscriptions and, and get a grip on your inflated budget. That's your prescription of the week. Yeah, very good. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can send us your questions, link to us there, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.